What is the Jewish belief in resurrection? So firstly, before we start, to be clear, this has nothing to do with Christian belief in resurrection. No connection whatsoever. They're talking about resurrection of a particular individual. We're thinking of resurrection of everybody. Totally different thing, not connected, not related. Our view on Christianity and Christian beliefs we discussed in an earlier class um, that we call Judaism and Christianity. So the book of Ezekiel tells the story how God brought Ezekiel to a valley. And the valley was filled with bones. How those bones got there, the Talmud has a discussion where those bones came from. But Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel, say prophecy about these bones, that they will get up and come to life. And Ezekiel watches as the bones begin to grow flesh and veins, and skin, and turn into bodies. And then God tells Ezekiel, say prophecy that these bodies will, the spirit of life will come into these bodies, and the spirit of life comes into these bodies, and all these people get up, and they are a huge number of people, a great army, Ezekiel describes them as, that wake up, and God tells Ezekiel, just as these people have gotten up, so too the people of Israel will wake up, will come, God will take them out of their graves, bring them to life, and bring them back to the land of Israel. Who these people were, what happened to them, is really a discussion of its own. There's actually a fellow in the Talmud, Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra, who says, I am actually a grandson, descendant of one of these people. They were Jews. And I'm a descendant of them that came, one of these people that came back to life. They lived happily ever after, apparently. So there's a debate, not all, some say no, they, they drop dead right afterwards. God was just making a point. Regardless, um, clearly God, Ezekiel over here is predicting, a, on God, with God's prophecy, predicting an event that is going to happen, that all of Israel will come back to life, and all those who have died will come out of their graves, will come back to life, their bodies will be reconstructed, they will come back alive again, and be returned to the land of Israel. There are a number of other places in Scripture, um, in Isaiah, in the book of Daniel, in a number of places, where it speaks of this same thing, with the, of the dead coming back to life. It is not mentioned explicitly in the Torah, but it's mentioned fairly implicitly in the Torah. There's one place where the Torah says in the portion of Ha'azinu, Ani amit I make people die and make them alive. I make people sick and heal them. And so the implication is clearly that God makes people alive after they die. They come back to life. A number of other places in the Torah where it seems to imply that people will come back to life. And so it is a basic belief in Judaism that those who die are not dead forever. Death is temporary. Eventually, they're all going to come back. Now, Maimonides points out, Maimonides was actually asked the question um, because in many places he seemed to believe that many of the stories in the Torah that are miraculous or hard to, hard to believe stories in the Torah, not all of them. To be clear, Maimonides believed in miracles, but some of the stranger stories in the Torah, Maimonides believed that they were metaphors or in scripture. 
and so some of the stranger predictions of the uh, prophets, Maimonides believed that they were metaphor in the, at the end of his most important book, Mishnah Torah, where he speaks about the coming of Moshiach, he does not mention the resurrection. And so there were those who claimed that perhaps Maimonides believes that the resurrection is a metaphor. Now, in, many, in a number of other places, he did speak about the resurrection, but for whatever reason, people asked him about it. And so he wrote a very famous letter called Igeret Chiyat HaMetim, the letter of the resurrection, a very long letter he wrote um, to answer his critics who questioned his belief in the resurrection, that he absolutely believes in it. And he pointed out that while other strange prophecies in Scripture can be and should be explained as allegories, he believed, um, however, it is clear from our tradition that the belief in the dead coming back is meant to be literal, that the dead will come back to life. He says there, this belief of the dead coming back to life is mentioned repeatedly throughout our oral tradition, in the Talmud, in the many Midrashim, it's mentioned many, many times. And there is a clear consensus in all Jewish sources that the belief in the resurrection and the dead coming back to life is literal. We don't find any early Jewish sources suggesting that the belief is somehow, in the resurrection, is somehow a metaphor. So it is clear that Jews believe that death is not permanent, that all those who die will come back to life. Maimonides goes so far that we're in his introduction to the, um, of the mission, sorry, in his introduction to um, chapter um, 11 of Sanhedrin in the Mishnah. He has a very long introduction where he goes through the principles of Judaism. And over there, he lists 13 principles of Jewish faith, which have been turned into many poems um, over the years um, and become famous as the 13 principles of Jewish faith. Number 13 of the 13 principles is that we believe that in a future resurrection, that all those who die will come back to life. I'm going to get into the details of it soon. So if you're not sure how it's going to work and who and what, I'm going to explain it all very soon. I had a question about Paul. Go ahead. About who? Who's going to come back? Yes. We'll get to that. Very good question. We're going to get to all the details. So people struggle with this concept of the dead coming back to life. I think for two reasons. Firstly, it's an unnatural event. We have never seen it happen before. Now, to be clear, in Tanakh, in our scripture, it is twice mentioned, two of our great leaders, prophets, brought dead people back to life. First, Elisha brought someone back to life, the son of the Tsarfatit, and um, then later... Um, he, uh, so Elijah brought someone back to life and then later his disciple and successor Elisha brought the son of the Shunamit back to life so two people are brought back to life in Tanakh in scripture itself uh, we have other traditions of various people over the years coming people who have died coming back to life so firstly in our traditions we believe that it's happened before but it's not firstly it's something that's not natural we don't we cannot explain it naturally, how a person will be brought back to life. It is also something that is beyond our experience. We have never seen it happen. Two different problems that we often confuse with each other, but two concerns that we often have with beliefs that are either unnatural or beyond our regular experience. We have never seen it happen. 
even if theoretically it could happen, we have never seen it happen. The Talmud already speaks about people who have struggled with the belief in resurrection. The Talmud tells the story of the Roman emperor who was speaking with Rabban Gamliel, the Jewish leader of his day, and asked him, how is it possible for God to bring the dead back to life? So the princess who is sitting there steps in and asks for permission to answer, and she responds, apparently she also believes in resurrection. She says, what is harder, to make pottery from water or make pottery from clay? It's clearly a lot easier to make pottery from clay than to make pottery from water. So if God can make humans from an egg and sperm, he can certainly make them from bones and dust. Now maybe modern science wouldn't accept that answer exactly as she put it. She probably didn't understand how humans were produced the way we understand it today. The Talmud, but at least it gives us a perspective um, on how the resurrection will work, and also acknowledging the fact that people struggled with it. Another scholar, Gavia ben Pesisa, who actually is an early Second Temple scholar, um, says in the Talmud that explaining to somebody who was questioning how such a thing could happen, if God can create humans who never lived before, God can certainly recreate people who already lived. Today, with our understanding of genetics, um, it seems to be a lot more realistic. After all, we've managed to bring plants back from fossils. We have successfully brought plants back from fossils. Um, maybe one day we'll be able to bring animals back from fossils, recreate dinosaurs. They're definitely trying to do that. Uh, we don't know if they will be able to or not. Um, and uh, maybe one day we can even bring humans back from fossils. That would be pretty fascinating. Um, if we could recreate old humans from old human bones, from old human fossils. It's definitely, with modern genetics, it's definitely theoretically possible, even though we haven't yet come close to achieving it yet. There are those who are working on it. And uh, it definitely has become much closer to the realm of possibility mm -hmm. than it would have been previously. Um, and so, but clearly, um, despite the challenges, it's beyond our experience, and it would be a miraculous event. There is no question that it is a basic of Jewish belief that we do believe that God, who is all-powerful and can and has performed miraculous events that are beyond nature, we do believe that death is temporary. And those who died will, at a certain point, come back to life. And I will get to the details soon. Now, before we get to the details of who and how and when, why, do, why will it happen? Why do the dead need to come back? Why is it an important belief in Judaism? So the Talmud tells us that the purpose of the resurrection is to offer the true reward and punishment for our actions while we are alive in a body. We, in a body, while we're alive. In other words, we believe the soul is eternal. After we die, the soul continues on to the next world, where it 
experiences reward for the good things and punishment for the bad things. Exactly how that reward and punishment works is a subject of its own. We've spoken about that before. But the ultimate true reward and true punishment is for us to experience it as we are, alive, the same way we acted, experience it as we are, as we're alive. The Talmud gives an interesting parable to understand it. It says there were once two watchmen watching an orchard. One was blind and one was lame. Why did the owners choose a blind watchman and a lame watchman? So that the blind watchman won't be able to get the fruit on their own, steal, and the lame watchman won't be able to steal. Um, and so they, the blind watchman and lame, lame watchman are chatting. They come up with a brilliant plan. The lame person goes on the shoulders of the blind person and tells the blind person where to go, and that way they're able to get the fruit and eat the fruit. And so when the owners come and say, who ate the fruit? The blind person says, I don't know, because I couldn't see. The lame person says, I don't know, I couldn't go anywhere. And so they take the lame person, put him on top of the blind one, and they say, oh, now you could have taken the fruit like this. The same thing also, God asks the soul, why did you do whatever you did? And we said, oh, it wasn't me, it was my body. And God asks the body, why did you do whatever you did? And the body says, oh, I can't move on my own, it's the soul. And so therefore, God, the true reward and punishment comes from the body and soul together. And so therefore, the Talmud says, we need to have a we need to get our true reward and punishment. There needs to be a time when the body and soul come back together. Yes? So, <clears throat> your soul is released and goes back to where it came from. To a spiritual reality, experience a spiritual reality. And then it waits until the body is brought back. No, it experiences, the soul experiences a spiritual reward and punishment while it's in the next world. We believe that. But then there is a further stage of our reward and punishment in this world of the experience of resurrection that will yet come. So these bodies will have no souls? No, they will have a soul. The soul will come back into the body. That's what I asked. Yes. The soul will come back. The soul will come back into the body. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Our soul will come back into our... Our body will be recreated. Our body will be recreated with our souls. Yes. Yes. We're going to get to exactly how it's going to happen. I'm going to get to soon. So on a deeper level, if we go back to what we believe is the purpose of creation, why did God create our world? What was the purpose? What was the reason for creation? So Kabbalah explains, Hasidic teachings explain, God created our world with the goal of us humans revealing his presence in our world. In other words, he created a world where God's presence is not felt, placed us here as his agents, gave us instructions, and then through us following God's instructions and recognizing God, we make God's presence felt within this world. So we humans are really God's agents here on earth with the purpose of making him a home here on earth. And all of history is a journey towards this goal of making God's presence felt on earth. We make God's presence felt 
in a spiritual way. In other words, we have a spiritual impact on this world through various actions that we take. We don't see the impact, but it is there. And when we reach a certain point, we reach a tipping point, God's presence will be actively felt within this world. And we believe that point will be the coming of Moshiach. When we reach our goal, our end goal, when we reach a tipping point, and then God's presence will openly be felt within this world. Every human that was placed in this world on earth is placed with a special mission and a special role as part of the universal mission of history to make God's presence felt on earth. Everyone has a very distinct role and purpose within this greater mission. We don't always know our mission, but we can at least find it or get close to it by taking advantage of the opportunities God sends our way because God puts us in a situation for us to be able to fulfill our exact mission. And finding our mission and what our mission is is really a subject of another class that we have discussed before. So the goal of it all is to reach this stage, where state where God's presence is felt, which will happen with the coming of Moshiach. But there are billions of people who work towards this goal, contributed towards the end goal, but at the time that Moshiach comes, at the time that we reach the end goal, only those who are alive at the time are there to experience it. It's unfair to all those people that had worked towards it and don't get to experience what they were working towards. And that is the purpose of the resurrection. All those who worked and contributed towards the mission of history of making God's presence felt on earth, everyone who did and did their part and worked towards it, even if they died and they're no longer here at the time Moshiach comes, God will bring them back so that they will get to experience the um, end goal, the reward or the experience of what they had worked towards. So who will come back? Now that we understand why we're coming back, now we get to the question of who will get to come back. So the Mishnah in Sanhedrin tells us, uh, it's a very famous Mishnah, all of Israel has, will have a portion in the world to come. Now we use this term throughout Talmudic literature and Midrashic literature. We use this per- term world to come, olam haba, very, very often. The word olam haba, world to come, can mean one of two things. It can mean the afterlife, the experience. Well, olam haba really translates as after, best translates afterlife. But there are two afterlifes. There's an afterlife when we die for the soul, what the soul experiences when it reaches the next world. That's one type of afterlife, one type of olam haba, world to come. The other world to come or afterlife is afterlife when we come back to this world. The reality post-resurrection. And both are used, we use the term afterlife or alam haba, world to come, for both. The Talmud says that when the Mishnah here says all of Israel has a portion of the world to come, it is referring to the resurrection. That all of Israel will get a portion in the resurrection. The Mishnah then continues, there are those though that will not have a portion in the resurrection, and lists people that commit various transgressions. The Mishnah goes on to list seven biblical figures that will not get a portion in the world to come in the resurrection. What are the 
Who are those seven? The seven people. Seven people mentioned in Scripture that won't come back. Seven people. Seven people mentioned in Scripture. Who are they? Um, no, mentioned in Scripture that will not come back. Who are they? They're, they're the worst of the worst people. Yeravam, the, this four kings, Yeravam ben Nevat, Jeroboam, um, Achav, um, Jeroboam, Achav, Menashe, and I forget who the fourth king. There's a fourth king there. Sorry, Menashe? Oh, he was a very wicked king. He was a mass murderer. Not Menashe, the, the, no, Menashe, the king Menashe, son Ben Chizkiyah, son of Chizkiyah. Okay. Um, and then maybe it's maybe it's three kings, and then there's four others. Um, I think we mentioned Bilam, who was Bilam, uh, Gehazi, who was the servant of Elisha. Um, what did he do? Gehazi. Story of its own, beyond beyond our discussion for today. Uh, I forget offhand. You've caught me. Uh, I forget offhand the other ones. The servant of Elisha, who was the disciple of Elijah. Yes. Yes. Anyway, there. So there. The, the, but there are a handful of people who do not get a portion in the world to come, or people who commit some serious transgressions that the missionalists lose their portion in. Uh, the world to come or in this resurrection. Even then, the Talmud tells us there are many ways that people can still experience the resurrection. Firstly, many wicked people have done a lot of good. If you've done a lot of good, the good outweighs the bad. You get a portion and you get to be resurrected. Furthermore, we're told, children are able to, um, are, are able to bring merit to their parents. The Talmud lists certain horrible people in Scripture but they still will be resurrected because their children were so righteous. The good deed that they did is produce a wonderful child. That was, and for that, they, get, they deserve the resurrection. So children can bring merit to their parents. Um, and furthermore, we're told that even not children, relatives, friends, can do good things in honor of somebody, even someone who's done bad, and that way bring them merit in the next world and grant them a portion in the world to come. Talmud further says that somebody who suffered a lot in their lifetime um, or suffered in their death, um, the suffering helps atone for their transgressions and they can also get a portion in um, the world to come or in the resurrection. And the, the, the Talmud goes on to say that God does everything he can to try to include everyone that he can. There still appears to be a handful of people who are excluded, but God includes almost, will include almost any, everyone looking for ways to include everyone that he can. Um, the Talmud, the mission of the Talmud speaks only about Jews. All of Israel has a portion of the world to come. What about non-Jews? So it's pointed out that the Talmud does say that Bilam does not get a portion of the world to come. He was not Jewish, right? Implying that good people who are not Jewish do get resurrected. They will get this portion in the world to come. Um, so it does say that non-Jews who are good will get that portion in the world to come. If they are bad, they will not get it. Um, exactly who will and who won't, we can guess, but we ultimately won't know until it happens. 
Um, maybe there are some very horrible people whom we hope will not come back, but ultimately God knows. It's only, only God knows who will and who will not come back. Um, but generally most people will. Those that were really, really, really bad will not. Um, will not come back, at least not come back to experience good. Many wonder if everyone will come back, how will we fit everyone? Where will they all fit? So the truth is, this question has been asked for many years, it actually won't be that hard. (laughs) Historically, the human population was much smaller than it's ever been. Um, In fact, it's believed that the entire population of all of history, human population of all of history, is maybe ten times the human population today. So we're about 7.5 billion, maybe 75 billion people live throughout all of history. It would still be crowded if we had 10 times the population, but it's at least imaginable how we would fit. Regardless, it's clear that the event is going to be miraculous, and it's going to happen in a miraculous time. If God can bring people to life, he can figure out how he would fit them. So um, he'll figure out a way, <laughs> a way to do it. Um, people often wonder what about small children or babies. It says everybody will have a portion in the world to come. Anybody who was alive, anybody who had time on this earth, even if it was very short, it appears everybody will have a portion in the world to come. Everybody will re- rise. I have a feeling you're going to mention this later, but just in case you don't. Um, when we do come back, Good question. We're going to get to that. Why would it be terrifying? I think it would be very pleasant. I mean, if they show up as ghosts, maybe it will be scary. But I think it would be very pleasant. I'll tell you a great story, um, since you raised a a short anecdote. The previous Rebbe, um, the previous Rebbe went on a visit to Israel in 1929. And he visited, sorry, in 1929, he went, he visited Israel. And um, over there, he um, went around to various Jewish sites. One of the most fascinating sites, um, one of my favorite places in Israel, is the cemetery in Safad. Safad was home to many... Tzfat. Tzfat was home to to many great Kabbalists. Many of our greatest Jewish leaders and thinkers were there. And the cemetery is kind of on a um, cliff on a very steep um, mountainside, and um, the graves are all on top of each other. Um, It used to be, when I went there 20-something years ago, there were no paths. You just used to to get anywhere. You had to climb from one grave to the next. Now already they built over the graves kind of a nice walkway, so you could kind of go, there's bridges over the graves. But it's it's, it's a really a fascinating place, because, you know, you climb over one grave and you say, oh, here is Rabbi Yosef Kara, the author of the Shulchan Aruch, the Code of Jewish Law. And the next, you know, you keep climbing and you, bump, you meet Rabbi Shlomo Alkabatz, the author of the Lechadodi song. Then you meet the Arizal and then, you know, you keep climbing, you, you keep meeting different 
um, you know, famous figures from Jewish history. It's really quite a fascinating place. So somebody told the Rebbe when he was doing that, said that it looks like the Rebbe's finding this, this site very fascinating. So the Rebbe retorted, it'd be even more fascinating when they all wake up. <laughs> so... So when will this happen? So as we mentioned, it will happen after the coming of Moshiach, when Moshiach comes, which will be what we call the end of times. That's been mentioned many, many times in Scripture, the name, the Ketzei Yamin, the end of times. And at that point, Moshiach comes, ushers in a world of that recognizes the Creator. Suddenly we will have, we spoke about this in our class about Moshiach, suddenly we will all recognize God will be consciously aware of God's presence um, kind of with another sense we'll be aware of his existence and it will change the way we look at everything we will no longer have an evil inclination no longer want to harm others no longer want to do bad um, we will only want to do good only be positive and so um, when we reach that stage when we reach that point um, then the resurrection will happen after this point however it appears from many sources um, that the resurrection will not happen immediately after the coming of Moshiach. There will be a time after the coming of Moshiach where there will be no evil, and yet we will still live a regular life. Life will still be normal. Um, and that would be a period before the resurrection. And then this resurrection will only happen at a later stage post the coming of Moshiach. The Zohar mentions in one place that it will take place 40 years after the coming of Moshiach, 40 years. It's unclear if that is meant to be taken at face value, um, because many things in the Zohar are meant allegorically. Um, but it is clear that it will be a later stage, some point, Maimonides thinks even generations later after the coming of Moshiach will be this um, resurrection where everyone will come back to life. Um, Everybody all at once, or will it be staged? So the Talmud mentions that when the temple will be rebuilt, which is one of the first things that Moshiach will do, um, he will rebuild the temple, scatter, declare a Jewish state, or a, um, become the ruler of Israel, and um, leader of Israel, rebuild the temple, and gather all of Israel back to the promised land. But rebuilding temples is one of the first things that he will do. The Talmud, in a number of places, when asking what will happen, what's the law here regarding temple law, what's the rule here, you know, trying to understand what the rule is, has questions. And the Talmud, in a couple places, says, well, when the next temple is built, Moses and Aaron will be there and will be able to ask them. Which implies that they'll already be there when the temple's built, which is right when Moshiach will come, right at the beginning. And so therefore it seems that Moses and Aaron, and maybe a handful of other very special people in Jewish history, will come back straight away, right after, uh, right with the coming of Moshiach. In fact, the Talmud in Sanhedrin raises the possibility that Moshiach himself will be somebody who lived many, many generations ago, many generations earlier, died and comes back to life before announcing the redemption. And the Talmud even suggests that if indeed it will be somebody who's dead, it would be somebody like Daniel. 
someone like Daniel. Daniel was a great Jewish leader who gave us many prophecies about the future redemption. Um, the Talmud uses him, and he was from the house of David, of course, and so the Talmud uses him as an example of somebody who could be um, the one who will be Moshiach, and Moshiach could, in theory, be someone who had previously died. Yes? That's a good question. Our view of Solomon is he was good, but he had some problems. There's a debate in the Talmud as to whether he was good in the end or not. Um, well, David himself, it's a descendant of David. It's not David himself. Um, it's supposed to be somebody who comes from David. Well, David was considered very... He, despite David's shortcomings, David repented for his shortcomings, and we consider David greatest of all the kings. So spiritually great. What will be really interesting is when all the, the J-man's apostles come back, because they were all Jews, right? Well, depending back. on their actions, we don't know if they deserve to come back or not. We have no idea what they did. We don't know who's coming back. Huh? We don't know who's coming back. But I'm sure there are, will be people who made mistakes in their lifetime that will now discover their mistakes. They already did as soon as they died. They so went on to the next all, world. They were all Jews. They were all born and died as Jews. Then um, they, when they come back, they can explain. Well, any Jew who, did, who made mistakes or did things wrong um, or had mistaken beliefs... Um, in their lifetime, as soon as they die, we believe that their soul already recognizes their mistakes. Um, but definitely in the future time, well, if they come back, that, we'll recognize um, that. Other guy who proclaimed to be the Messiah? I don't know. We don't know who's coming back and who's not. But everyone in the next world discovers the truth. Everyone can come back, but there will be a time when everyone recognizes God's presence and recognizes the truth. Everyone will recognize God and the Torah. Yes. We'll all be what we're supposed to be brothers, right? Yes. So now, how will we come back? How will this happen? So, it appears that while some people will, maybe the righteous will come back earlier as a whole, it appears everybody will come back together. Um, it's unclear if those who are alive at the time will get a forewarning, will be warned, it is coming. Um, in fact, in some places it says, in fact, in some places it says that um, the, everybody who is alive will die just for a very short period because the Torah says that everyone is dust, man is dust and must return to dust, will die for a short period and then come back themselves as well. Um, but how will we come back? How will it actually work? So our tradition is that tzaddikim, righteous people, do not decompose. Their bodies remain whole. We don't, haven't dug them up to actually find out. Uh, we have over the years and found, interestingly, um, some that did remain whole. But our tradition is that the bodies of the righteous do not decompose. For most, though, we do. Only a, a skeleton remains. Our sages say that everybody has a bone called the loose bone. And this bone, it's unclear exactly where it is, possibly in the back of the neck or somewhere in the spine. Um, it's a bone that never decomposes, always remains. And so God will use whatever bones remain from our body 
to rebuild the body. Today, with modern understanding of um, DNA, we can, um, under, we can it, it, it sounds more realistic, right? Take one bone and you can rebuild the entire body. It has the full set of DNA in it. Um, you can resurrect the entire body. We do believe that even somebody whose body was totally destroyed, God will resurrect them from the dust. So God can make people from absolutely nothing, somebody who has nothing left of them. Um, and uh, unfortunately, many of our grandparents uh, in the Holocaust, um, their bodies were totally destroyed. God will, um, God will resurrect them. We do believe that he can and he will. Um, although it's not ideal. The ideal is to resurrect someone from existing bones. The Talmud tells us that when the people will be resurrected, they will not be resurrected naked. That would be indecent, indecent disrespectful. And God will make them resurrected, come out of the earth, with clothing. And the clothing, the Talmud says, is similar to the clothing they wore when they were alive. So whatever the styles were in their days, that's what they will, God will make them clothing that way. How will God make clothing? Well, if he can make people back, come back to life, he can just as easily make them clothing as well. Um, the Talmud brings a verse that says that people will all be healed in the future times. And so therefore it says that when people will come alive, they will originally come alive sick as they were when they died. Most people, not all, but most are very sick before they die. And then God will immediately heal them from all illnesses and give them energy. So give them youthfulness so they will be young, like a young adult. Um, make them young again. Now it is very... Yes? God saw the world as perverted before Noah and killed all the people. Will those people be coming back? Very good question. The Mishnah answers that question and says the people who would died in the flood will not come back. So it's hard for us to picture what it's like to come back um, Hard to us for us to imagine life with tens of billions of people. Hard for us to imagine life where everyone looks the same age, your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, children who died, right, will come back as well, look like children. People who died maybe older than their parents died, might look older than their parents. Hard to picture such a reality of what it would look like. Um, to, we are told that we will have many prophets back then. In fact, um, in one place it says that everybody will have prophecy and will be able to identify our family, figure out who they are, recognize them. God will figure out a way where everyone has place to live. Before we get to exactly how we'll live, Scripture does speak of, in Daniel it says, that um, your dead will come back to life and the righteous will be rewarded and the wicked will be punished. So it speaks of a punishment and in many places it speaks of a day of judgment, the great day of judgment that will come, which seems to imply from simply reading our scripture that this great day of judgment will happen right after the resurrection. However, our sages say that the resurrection is really only for the righteous. Everybody faces a day of judgment on their day of death. The soul stands in judgment. And while 
God will possibly make some who deserve to come back, but don't entirely deserve to come back, suffer a little bit after they suffer after they come back in order to then allow them to experience the bliss afterwards. Um, however, generally, we're told that there will not be any major punishment after we come back. The punishment is experienced by the soul in its current state. And um, therefore, um, we don't, though Scripture speaks of this great day of judgment, the great day of judgment is in the afterlife for the soul, not in the afterlife after the resurrection. So it will not be a, there will not be this day of judgment. We will rather be, just live, a, as we'll soon see, a blissful life. Yes? So what will happen after we come back? So the Talmud says that we will live a semi-spiritual life. There'll be no eating, no drinking. We won't need material needs. We will just connect to God's presence. Our life will be basking in the glory of God. There will be no evil inclination. Nobody will harm anyone. There'll be no disease, no suffering. Life will no longer be a challenge and a struggle. Rather, we'll live the reward for what we had worked in our current lives. Our current lives are the challenge and struggle. The future life will have no challenge and struggle. It will be a spiritual, entirely spirit. Uh, we will be in bodies, but we will not have physical needs. We will not have struggles the way we do today. Um, will we live forever or not? So there are places where the Talmud in the Talmud where it seems to say that the period of resurrection will last for a limited time and then we will then, the reality as we know it will be entirely destroyed and that will be the end of history. Um, however, the um, Ramban and many great Jewish sages, Rav Sajagon, believe that, um, they explain the Talmud a little differently, and they believe that um, once we reach this blissful reality, it will essentially last forever. Um, history will end in the sense that there'll be no further development, no further growth and challenges, but it will not come to an end. It is eternal and will last forever. Yes? That's a good question. In scripture it says that, um, that it speaks of children, um, young, young children will produce children, um, and um, it, it does speak of it in Scripture, speaking of these future times, which we usually think refers, most of the descriptions in Scripture of the future times, we think are referring to this period post-resurrection. Um, but exactly what sort of children and how, what it will look like, and how many we can fit here, I, I don't know the answer. And um, Maimonides writes, it really comes from the Talmud itself, from Scripture, it says, Ayin lorata lokim zulatecha, it says in Isaiah, no eye has ever seen the future times. Um, and Maimonides writes that we have a lot of conjectures about what, from prophecies and from descriptions in our source, in our oral traditions of what it will be like, but we don't really know what life will be like. It's hard for us to imagine what life will be like. It will be a, definitely a very different experience. And it's hard for a person to put themselves in a different experience. The start of a new history, new reality, new kind of reality. 
There's a number of practical questions about the resurrection that has been asked over the years. Um, one classic question is, well, if someone reincarnated into many, many different souls, many different bodies, which bo person do they come back as? And um, that is based on a misconception of reincarnation, on a Eastern conception of reincarnation. Um, if one understands, as the Arizal explains, the concept of Gilgulim, no soul ever comes back again to this world. We explained in our class on Gilgul that um, the Jewish belief is, that Rizal explains, that souls spin off other souls to complete their work that was not yet completed on this earth. So kind of like children of existing souls. And so, but each one is its own independent soul or own independent being. And so therefore there is no issue with that. Um, a classic issue um, has been asked about a person who was widowed and then remarried. What are they going to do? Who are they going to go to? They'll have two spouses. Which one are they going to choose? So the truth is that this concern is something that concerns us also today. Um, it in involves a very complex issue of a person who remarries. Do they entirely let go of their first spouse or not. It may depend on the individual. Um, some Often the second spouse does not want to see any pictures of the first spouse around the house. Um, do they totally cut them off? One very practical issue which is dealt with today is who are they buried with? Are you buried? Who do you get buried with? If someone who remarries, do you get buried with your first spouse? Or with your second spouse? You don't need to get buried with either. No, okay, you don't have to get married with them, do you? No, you don't have to get buried with your spouse, but historically, both in Jewish communities and in other communities, in Jewish communities it varied from community to community, but often spouses were buried together next to each other. It's still widely done today. Which spouse do you get buried with? Um, it's discussed in Jewish law, and I'm not sure there's a black and white answer to that question. Um, definitely, there's a difference in preference, um, a difference in circumstance um, for different people. It may depend how long you were married for, what preconditions you made before your second marriage. There are many variables. Anyway, it's, it's definitely a question beyond the scope of our discussion today. Um, I think we can best say that when the resurrection comes, Moses and Aaron will be there and they will help us resolve these kind of problems. <laughs> so we do have today, we mentioned earlier that the belief in the resurrection is one of the fundamental beliefs in Judaism. We do have today many prayers where we speak about this belief in the resurrection. The first thing we say when we wake up is, I thank you, God, that you returned my soul to me. When I woke up, our soul disappears every night, goes to heaven every night when we sleep, leaving only a little bit of the soul to keep us alive. And it comes back every morning. We thank God for restoring our soul. Our sages say we thank God for restoring our soul because it is, when we wake up every morning, it is a small mini-resurrection every morning. And in fact, right afterwards, the blessings that we say in the morning, right when we wake up, we make up one of the first blessings, is thanking God for restoring our soul. And we end off the blessing, Baruch Hashem, Mechayeh HaMeitim. We say, thank you God for 
giving, creating me, for bringing me back my soul this morning, and and um, you will in the future return it to me, in the future time you will recreate me. And we thank God, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God, who brings the dead back. brings the dead back to life. We also have in our Amida prayer that we say three times every single day. Um, that we have 18 blessings in our Amida, 19 blessings in our Amida prayer. Um, the second blessing is the blessing Atagibor, you are strong, called the blessing of Gvorot. And the second blessing ends Veneman Atalachayot Meitim. We believe that you in the future will bring the dead back to life. Blessed are you, God, who brings the dead back to life. So it is mentioned many, many, many times in our prayer, thanking God for bringing the death back to life. Many, we have many customs and traditions um, connected to this belief in the resurrection, future resurrection. Firstly, we have a tradition that every Saturday night we eat three meals on Shabbat, Friday night, Shabbat morning or Shabbat lunch, and then Shabbat afternoon, we eat a third meal. Um, we have a tradition to eat a post-Shabbat meal, called the Malava Malka, literally meaning saying goodbye to the Shabbat queen. But we have, it's also called the meal of David. And uh, we have a tradition that eating that meal strengthens our bones, particularly that loose bone, um, so that it makes it easier, so to speak, for God to bring us back to life. So um, that's why we make sure to eat that meal after Shabbat. When we bury people, there are many traditions that we have to... um, that are related to the um, that are related to his belief in the future resurrection. One of the reasons why we bury people in simple white shrouds, linen shrouds, and in a simple white box is because is because we want them to know that it's temporary. You're not going to be there for very long. It's it's going to be temporary. You won't be there forever. Um, and so they actually tell this story. Um, about the Chetam Sofer, one of the great Jewish leaders. He lived in, in Preshburg, or modern-day Bratislav, about 250 years ago. And they say in the town there was a very wealthy man who never, ever gave any money to charity. When he died, the communal Chevra Kadisha, the burial society, which belonged to the community, told the family, you want a grave for him, you have to pay exorbitant sum for the grave. Because he never gave any money to charity. So they, it's time to collect and so the family was very upset. They came to the rabbi of the town. They said, how dare they charge so many times what they usually charge for a grave? And the Khtam Sofer explains, the rabbi explains to them, you have to understand, normally when we sell a plot in the cemetery, it's temporary. It's only till the future time. But because he never gave any charity, his plot is forever. It's not just the lease. It costs a lot more money. But um, anyway, one of the reasons why we bury people Um, as opposed to, we believe in the importance of burial as opposed to cremation, is because we believe that people are going to come back. We don't want to destroy their body because God's going to recreate it from the remaining bones. That's why we do not create somebody who cremates implies a lack of belief in the future resurrection. I mentioned earlier those who, for whatever reason, do, their bodies were destroyed, God will still be able to bring them back. So there was something I saw in the news this week. I probably knew about it at the time, but I was only a little girl at the 
Will he come back? Will he come back? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> so we believe, just to finish off, what we believe in a future resurrection, but we also believe in the concept of resurrection today. The story of Ezekiel has been and can be understood in addition to referring to the future belief, which we definitely believe in a future, future resurrection, as a metaphor for our own loss of spiritual life. Sometimes a person loses their spiritual energy. And when God tells Ezekiel, will these dry bones come back to life? And Ezekiel watches these dry bones come back to life. It can be understood as a reference to ourselves. Sometimes a person loses their spiritual excitement, their spiritual energy, their spiritual inspiration. And we need to wake ourselves up, bring ourselves back to life, inspire ourselves to live a more God-centered life. Ezekiel didn't just see one person come back to life. He saw an entire valley of bones come back to life. And so we live in a time where there are many, many people who are spiritually dried out, whether because they weren't raised with spirituality, they weren't taught about it. They're living in a society that is focused on so many meaningless pursuits, forgetting about the value and purpose for why they're here. And so we really, like Ezekiel, have a responsibility to go out to the valley of dry bones, go meet others, reach out to others, whose lives may have been dried, who have lost their energy, who has lost their zeal for life, or perhaps have gotten caught up in foolish pursuits, building a career, spending their lives chasing the dollar, spending their lives chasing politics, there's too many of those today, or stuck on health, or on running marathons, or on all sorts of other meaningless, useless pursuits things that are good as a means to an end, but not as an end in themselves. And it is our responsibility, responsibility like Ezekiel to wake them up, to inspire them, to bring them back to life. And like Ezekiel, who woke up an entire army, brought them back to life, we can do the same thing. Get out there, reach out to others, turn to others, invite them to come to a Torah class, invite them to study, invite them to Come pray, invite them to fulfill it, to do a mitzvah with you, to a Shabbat dinner, invite them to do something meaningful, something that will help wake them up and help wake people, bring them back to life. So yes, we believe in a resurrection, actual resurrection that will happen in the future times. It's a core fundamental Jewish belief, but we also believe that we need to wake ourselves up and need to wake up others around them, bring ourselves back to life, wake up, bring life to our own dry bones and to all of those around us.